invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have one. If you don't have one, you can take a black Bible that's in one of the chairs in front of you, and it's at page 244, page 244 of 1 Samuel chapter 21. I hope that you were able to get a bulletin when you came came in, and on the back is a place for notes. I made a mistake, and I need to do a better job of making sure if I have blanks that I fill in all the blanks for you as you go through the sermon, but I hope it's an assistance to you as we look at God's Word this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 21, what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 1 through the rest of the chapter. There's only 15 verses and then a few verses into chapter 2. I'm not going to read every one right away. I'm going to read parts throughout this sermon. I hate crutches. I hate when I have to have crutches. I remember when I pulled my calf playing basketball, I thought somebody had thrown a tennis ball hard at it, but it was something tearing, and I was on crutches. It hurt my arms. It hurt everything. I hated leaning on them. None of you, I bet, would say, I love crutches. But I like what Chuck Swindoll says in a helpful way. He points out that we are needy people, but Jesus seemed desperate. And we all need crutches. We all need to lean on something as we walk in this life. Now, he's talking in a metaphorical way. He's not talking literally. He's talking about the things we rely on or depend on, we get our strength from, we make it through because we leaned on X. We did that because we need to feel happy, we need to feel secure, we need to feel safe and strong. These crutches are often take take the form of certain things in our lives. They, They have a tendency to take the form, these crutches that we lean on, they might be your spouse, they might be your parents, or parents, they may be money, they might be a job that you have, you lean on it, and it is so, it brings you security and happiness. It might be talents. You're so gifted at music, or you're so gifted at whatever it is. It might be your looks. It might be friends. You so much, and it might be Facebook friends. It might be social media. It might be technology and games. It might be other significant people in your life. They might be a pastor. might be a mentor. A position at work that you work so hard for. And it might be a sport or a hobby. The problem with these things as crutches to lean upon are many. But among them are three. It's not my sermon. This is just want you to get this. Because they become substitutes for God. These crutches that we lean on, we lean on them, and we're not looking to God. Secondly, they keep our focus on the horizontal. They they keep us because others are down here. We're looking down here at problems when we are to look up to God. And three, they they give us temporary relief. The 
greatest friend, the greatest job, the greatest spouse, the greatest parent, the greatest whatever you could name it that's here doesn't last. We'll die. We'll move on. We'll be replaced. You see, the Bible gives us this overarching theme that God is in the process of building a people that rely on Him. They lean on the crutch of God. In fact, there are many ways in which the passages of Scripture say this, but one is Deuteronomy 33.27a. It says, The eternal God is our dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms that we rest upon. Isaiah 41.10 is one of my favorite passages. If you're getting sent off as a missionary, if you're getting sent off to leave, I love to use that. Say, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A spouse can't do that, but you can. A parent can't do that. A friend can't do that. A job can't do that. Your money can't uphold you with like you can with the righteous right hand. Now, in 1 Samuel, we see the life of the great David. And in chapters 19 through 21, we're in 21 now, we see crutches being removed in the life of this, this growing young man, David. You know, God does that. God removes crutches in your life. God, you were relying on this, and God goes, nope. You're meant to do, look, look to me. And we find in chapters 19 that David starts to lose his position. He was in the throne room of the king Saul. He had a position of authority, and all of a sudden Saul wants to kill him. He's gone. He doesn't have a position anymore. That crutch removed. In fact, he loses the crutch of his marriage because he had, he had Saul's daughter as a wife. Saul's daughter helps him escape. But the end of the marriage almost takes place there. They come back together, but their marriage is never the same. That crutch is removed. He had a mentor in Samuel. I bet Samuel was a great encouragement to him. The rock Samuel, who anointed him, the godly prophet of Israel. And Samuel isn't going to be there for him anymore. He had a best friend, Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan, he had a covenant with Jonathan, and they protected each other, but Jonathan wouldn't be in his life anymore. God's removing that crutch, and in this passage this morning, we're going to see God does something final. He removes a final crutch in his life, and that is his dignity or self-respect. That's not the main part of the passage, but I think I see that as a corollary, corollary that God is doing this because he wants David to be fully the man after his own heart. In this passage, and you have this in your notes if you have the back sheet, there are three, there's three sections of the, the text that I'm looking at today. Three episodes in David's life. And I'm just going to touch on each one of them and then draw you to, to David's application. First of all, in verses 1 through 9, we find David gets holy bread from a high priest in Nob. That's in chapter, beginning of first, chapter 21. Secondly, David flees to an enemy city called Gath. You've heard of it if you know about Goliath, Goliath of Gath. It's a Philistine enemy city, and he acts insane. That's the second, that's the, the second half of chapter 21. Then David hides in a cave and cares for his family at the beginning of chapter 22. 
want you to see this. In each place of David's difficulty, David faces difficulty. It's episode one, getting bread from the high priest. Episode two, he goes to Gath. He's in trouble because they want to kill him. Episode three, he goes to a cave. Each are difficult places to be for David. And each place, there is provision and protection by Yahweh. Yahweh is the name for God. Let's look at the first one. First of all, we see the holy bread in the priest, chapter 21, 1 through 9. I'm going to read a few verses. And David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Now, please hear this. Ahimelech, A-H. Later on, you're going to hear Abimelech, A-B. Don't get them confused. One's a good guy, one's a bad guy. We're talking about a good guy right now. He's a high priest of God. Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David. He was trembling. And he said to him, why are you alone here, David? This doesn't add up. No one's with you. And David said to Ahimelech, now remember, David is now running from Saul. Saul wants to kill David because Saul is jealous. David had done nothing wrong. Saul is trying to kill David, and David answers the priest. Um, the king, Saul, has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I sent you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. Now, in these nine verses, it can be confusing, and I'm not going to wade into too deeply of what's going on here. But David comes, and he's running, for, he's running to find help. He doesn't have any food. He left Jonathan. He doesn't even have a weapon. But he has a band of men that are near him, and they stay outside the camp. He comes to the high priest in Nob, where the tabernacle is now, but the Ark of the Covenant is not here. And he comes in, and they, they, the high priest would put out holy bread, the bread of the presence, every Sabbath, 12 loaves of bread for the 12 tribes, and only the high priests were allowed to eat them. But David comes and he asks him, can I get help? And the priest is really suspicious, not because he hates David or is an enemy, but he knows this guy's wanted by the king. What if the king hears that I am aiding and embedding a fugitive against the king? If word hears, I'm in trouble. So David deceives him. David says, the king has asked me to come on a secret mission. That's why I didn't bring any food. That's why I don't really have anybody with me. He didn't see the others. Can you give us some bread? We really need it. And he gives them the holy bread. And then he asks for a weapon, and he gives them Goliath's sword that David had used. And he was suspicious. You're on a king's mission, and you don't even have a sword with you? What's going on here? David seems to use deception. David gets food and a sword. They're in this passage, this passage and the next, does not con condemn David or say, David, you're wrong, nor does it commend David. Say, David, good job. This passage merely reports what David did. Now, some interpreters like the ESV Study Bible will say his actions were sinful or wrong. But God is just... The Bible is reporting. Some say he's using a rightful deception like Rahab the harlot who deceives 
those in Jer- Jericho so that they would get away and hide the Israeli spies. And God commended them for that warlike deception. What's going on here? This is a side note. God tells us not to lie. God commands us to be truth tellers. The Ten Commandments says, You shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. He's speaking about lying in all situations, but especially in court situations and not lying under oath. But it says in many other passages, among other things, that liars have no place in the kingdom of God. Not because you can't be forgiven if you're a liar, but with Christ is in you, he's going to bring, bring truth-telling as part of your new nature. It says that Satan is the father of lies. But we have stories in the Bible with like, like I mentioned in Joshua with Rahab. We have stories in Exodus where the Hebrew midwives lie to the Egyptians and say, no, uh, they didn't have any babies, and they saved the Hebrew boys from being executed. I think a principle in Scripture we need to understand is just like the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, it does not, it does not say that it is wrong to kill in warfare, or in a just execution with proper evidence and proper process. In the same way, God says we must not lie, but it must not be for selfish reasons. There is a sense in which we see in the Bible that in war, God sanctions a type of deception in war or its equivalent, like the Hebrew midwives or Rahab. If you were in 1940s Europe hiding Jews and the Gestapo showed up, you wouldn't owe them the truth if they asked if you were hiding Jews. You would lie like a Christian. You can let that sink in there. I didn't, kids, I didn't mean that. Truly. In the same way, but, but kids and adults, If your parents ask if you clean your room and it's not clean, you didn't clean it, but you once cleaned it, and you say you did because you once did it, that's deception, that's lying, that's a full-fledged sinful lie. Same with lying on your taxes or same with lying to your boss. We must not deceive for selfish or personal gain. We must not lie to save and we must not lie to save ourselves if it means denying Jesus Christ. Many martyrs went to their graves saying, I will not deny Jesus Christ. Deny Jesus Christ and I'll live. You'll live. I cannot deny my Savior and Lord. And many martyrs have been killed in different ways. That's a side note about deception. It's not the main point, but it, but it keeps coming up. What's going on? I'm not sure. David might be wrong here. He might be using deception here to protect Ahimelech, kind of give him plausible deniability. Hey, if he doesn't know, then if he gets questioned, he can say, I, didn't, I thought they were part of your mission. I thought, King Saul, I thought he was on your side. He told me this. Maybe David was doing that. Now, it didn't work. We're going to see that at the end of chapter 22 in a couple weeks. But um, maybe this is a gray area, but... 
we're going to see in all these verses that David doesn't seem real honorable. Just he just seems a little bit he's there's he's off here. He's he's panicking. You ever panic when you're struggling? You ever panic when you're in a difficult place? You just freak out. And you look back and oh. I like what a commentary Davis writes about this. He says this, some scrupulous reader of this passage, they may object and complain that David in all his finagling and deception does not deserve the provision of the bread that he was starving for and died. So what else is there? Who have ha- who would have daily bread if it rested on what we deserve? We'd be all skeletons. When everything is scraped down to the bone, I receive my daily bread, not because I'm godly, but because Yahweh, God, is gracious. And he's gracious to David. We see David's faith, God's faithfulness to David's desperation. Act 1. Act 2 takes us to, so he leaves the area. He has probably the Goliath sword now. He took it. He goes back with his, maybe with his men, some of them with him. He flees to Gath and to a man named Achish, who is the king of the of the city state. And these are Philistines. Remember, David's a Philistine killer because the Philistines are the enemy of Israel. They hated God. They were attacking and plundering God's people. David comes strange place to flee, but he is in desperation mode. And we find in verse ten. And David rose, and he fled that day from Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but a psalm transcript or or a title on a psalm tells us that the Philistines grabbed him at Gath. So maybe they grabbed David, and they brought him to the gates of of the court or the palace where Achish was, so that David could meet with the king. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this David, the king of the land? He was, he was a mighty warrior. Did they not sing to one another of the dances? Remember this several chapters before? They sang these songs. The, the Hebrew women would sing songs. Saul has struck his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And by the way, most of those ten thousands were our own people. We have widows around here that David's responsible for. Verse 12, And David took these words to heart. You took those words to heart? You heard those guys talking? You'd be really scared. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So what did he do? I asked my kids this week before I read this passage, and they go, He prayed unto the Lord. Right? Let me just paraphrase what he did. He, can you do this in any cool way? He, he made bubbling come out of his mouth and his lips, and drool starting coming down on his beard. I'm, I have the gift of a beard right now, and I could do it, but it would be pretty gross, and you'd be embarrassed, and you'd, you wouldn't like it. And he did that. And he started to draw the fingers, or maybe he had chalk or stone, on the gates of the palace wall. He acted like he was a madman and sad. He did this to try to protect him, and maybe he 
get me if he knows that I need someone. And so Achish, the king, sees David and he goes, Behold, you see this man is mad. He's insane. Why have they brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you had brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? It's kind of funny. He goes, do I lack madmen? Why do you have to bring me another? This isn't a high point in David's life. Sometimes we act so foolishly in in response to a trial or a threat. Um, I I was running this week. I I have a love-hate relationship with the local dog. I've been bitten. I've been chased. I've been scared. And so I was running. I think it was Tuesday. And I was on my way back from my run. It was in the morning. And I'm listening to headphones, listening to a pastoral podcast this week. And I was listening to that. I'm running. And then all of a sudden I hear this this ferocious barking. And I remember the last time I heard that last minute, I had a very painful leg for the next couple weeks. And I did this kind of skip, jump, dance, turn, ready to kick, and I hollered really loud thinking, okay, that's going to help. That dog is going to get scared. And I, sh- I shouted, I yelled, I hope I didn't scream. And then I turned and I looked at the dog have any of you ever met my little dog, Muffin? Muffin made this dog look, Muffin looked really big compared to this dog. Just a little ankle biter. And so I went, oh, hi, little dog. And I didn't want to look at the master if there was a master out, outside. I did not want to look. I kept running. And I was thinking, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. If we make eye contact, that's really embarrassing. And immediately I thought about this text that's nothing compared to what David went through. But it reminded me about how we can respond to stimulus or pressure or trials. And we flip out, we yell, we scream. we, we, We may not do that literally, but we do that in our heart. We do that with our actions. We might do that towards our children or our spouse or our work or we freak out. Could be that we have a meltdown or whatever it is. I'm not sure what was going on here with David, but it doesn't again say that David was singing here. Um, But it had to be a low point for David. Have you ever done something so stupid in response to a trial or difficulty and feel embarrassed about your response, either right away or afterwards? Yet God delivered you. You panicked when you seemed to fail the test, but God was faithful and came through for you. believer, don't use it as an excuse, but as a gracious comfort of a merciful God. Don't you let it use it as an excuse, oh, I can freak out, and that's fine. No, it's not good, but God is merciful. He's faithful. He's gracious to David right here in the story. So, the third episode is this. David escapes. So he knew he was still under threat, but they didn't, they didn't, hinder, they didn't attack David at Gath. They could have. David flees, and it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, and David departed there, and he escaped to the 
cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there with him, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, they gathered to him. That's a cheerful group. And he became commander over them, and there were about with him about 400 men. They say it probably was a cave system. Not just one little cave, 400 people. It says here that David's family came, and David and people from all different problems and bitter and in debt and probably being hounded by Saul, they all flee to David. David becomes a commander. What, what was David thinking? He's probably saying, I don't want to talk to you. Do you realize what I just did? Did you realize what I just what just went through? Just give me some space. And yet his family comes, probably because his family might have been under threat from Saul. Saul's out for David, and so how can he get to David? I'm going to go after his family. His family come to him. David just collects himself and commands them. It says here that, And David went from there to Mitzvah of Moab, the foreign land across the Dead Sea on the west side of the Dead Sea. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. And he left his parents with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So David goes back to the stronghold, the cave, and then a prophet, Gad, said to David, Don't remain here. Depart, go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Herod. He escaped to a cave. Just think of that. He was in a cave. How depressing. Maybe fun if you're a kid for a little while, but not a grown man under these circumstances. It's a tomb. He had all crutches removed from his life because God was preparing him to use him. There he's with his family and an army of misfit men are formed. Some of them become his mighty men of valor in the years to come. He's in a cave and he takes his parents with him and he goes to Moab. Now, we don't have time here. A whole sermon could be devoted to this. He goes to Moab. Do you know where Moab is? His great-grandmother was Ruth. If you know Bible history. His great-grandmother was Ruth, a Moabite, who converted and faithfully came here, and maybe, who knows, it does not say, but could it be that the king of Moab, he said, oh, David, you actually have some Moabite blood in you. I'll take your parents in. What a comfort of providence as they this pagan foreign king protects David's parents while he's in this trial. Maybe a, a ray of light and hope in the midst of and then God says, I'm not going to leave you silent. I'm going to bring a prophet. That prophet's going to speak to you. He's going to tell you to go. Saul wasn't getting any prophets coming to him, but God said, I'm going to bring a message to my man. Now, where do we go from here? What does this mean for us? What do we make of this dreary time in the early and dark days of David? Let me say this. Songs are made from these events. 
kind of songs. You might say country songs. I went to a cave. I acted insane. The wife is not with me. No. Maybe blues songs. No. Songs of praise to God. And that's where you find God. You see, this is stuff that psalms are made of. Psalm 142, Psalm 56 and 57, and Psalm 34, all four of those psalms were written around the events of David's cave dwelling or being with the king of Gath when they seized him. The events in David's life here are stuff that David is going to write these psalms, and if it wasn't for David going through these desperately low and God's faithfully working moments, we wouldn't be ministered through these psalms, but we are. If you look at Psalm 142, it says, when David was in a cave. Psalm 56, these are inspired. These were back in the Hebrew at the, the original writing. A mitcom of David, when the Philistines seized him at Gath. That's what he's talking about in chapter, end of chapter 21. Psalm 57 says, a mitcom of David, when he fled from Saul in a cave. And Psalm 34, which Wes and I both read from, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. You go, what? I thought the priest was Ahimelech. Abimelech was the name of a Philistine king, Achish. So he drove him out and he went away. Now, I commend you to read those four chapters today, this week. Psalm 142. Psalm 56 and 57. Psalm 34, they're for cave dwellers. Are you in a cave? Are you desperate? Dog? And I just want to very briefly give you four, four words of counsel from David's four, these four psalms that he gives. They're in your notes. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Here are four ways for these where these psalms help us lean on the everlasting arms of God. And David does that in his psalms. First of all, pour out your heart to God and ask Him for help. God's people, when they find themselves so befuddled and messed up, embarrassed and struggling, broken and needy, desperate, they pour out their heart and they cry out to God. They don't complain about God, they complain to God. There's a difference. They call out to God, and, and so we find in Psalm 142, With my voice I cry to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy, God, will you help me? I pour out my complaint before Him, not about Him, to Him, and I tell Him all of my trouble. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. I cry to you, verse 5, O Lord, I cry, I say, you are my refuge. You're my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Would you deliver me, God, from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me? Would you bring me out of this prison of a cave? He just says a prison that I may give thanks to your name. Oh, we need to, as parents, cry out when we have the children struggle. Children about our parents in your school, we cry out and ask God for help. 
spouses when you're struggling with each other. We pour out our heart to God and cry for him for help when you're dealing with a physical health issue. Maybe you're sitting here and you are lost. You have not yet been saved. You don't know that. You call out to God. Pour out your heart to a God who in Jesus Christ will help you. I love the little song. We don't sing it here, but it's tell it to Jesus. Are you weary and heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He's a friend that's well known. You have no other such friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus. Do your tears flow down your cheek unbidden? Have you sins that men's eyes are hidden? Do you fear the gathering clouds of sorrow? Are you anxious? What shall be tomorrow? Are you troubled at the thought of dying? Tell it to Jesus alone. Oh, I pray that if you are here, you would know a God like this. And you would come to grow to know a God like this because God is calling you to himself to know him this way. Secondly, not only do the first we pour out our heart to God and ask him for help, but two, when afraid, cling to trust in God and his promises. When afraid, cling to trust in God and his promises. I'm going to point you to Psalm 56. David says, remember, this is in this time. He wrote this about this time. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Or, you have kept count of my tossings. My tears you put in a bottle. You haven't wa- Not one tear is going to be missed on you, God. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. God is for us. Cling to his promises. God's people, when they're afraid, they cling to trust in God and his promises. That's why God's word is crucial. We grow to know God's word. This word brings us Jesus. We're connected to God through Jesus, so then the promises are relevant to us and not just, oh, that's neat, that was for somebody once. Oh, they're for us, they're God talking to us. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song of praise, and it's actually a song where it's how firm a foundation you sing to the Lord. The, have you ever thought of this? The first verse of how firm a foundation is a question. It's God saying, hey, this is what his excellent word says. And the rest of this, after the first verse, is God talking to us. So when we sing it, we're actually listening to God talk to us. And he says this, Fear not, I'm with thee, or be not dismayed. I'm thy God, and I'll still give thee aid. I'll strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand. Upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, The rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I'll be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee their deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway do lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. There's so much to say about this, but oh, this week I challenge you in the midst of your troubles, look to Jesus and, and remember what he promised you from this book. He'll never leave you, forsake you. He cares for you. He's going to protect you. He is for you if you are in Christ. Thirdly, 
praising, thanked him in faith. At some point, David, in his trial, in his pain, in his lostness, he started praising and thanking God. So if you're in the trouble right now, stop it and go as well. Do those things first two and then stop and go. I praise you, O God, for you've delivered me in the past. I praise you, O God, and I trust that you're good. I praise you that you're in control. I'm going to trust in you. You're going to work all things. Here's Psalm 57. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing your praises. Let us be a people who, when we're struggling, we praise God in the trial and after the trial. And we can only do that by faith in God. In faith. Lastly, number four. Afterwards, tell others with humility what He has done for you. Psalm 34 is about all about God. David can't help it. David was humiliated in his fake insanity. He runs to a cave. God lifts his, his chin up and says, you got people to minister to here. At some point he writes a psalm. I don't know when he wrote it, if it was in the cave or if it was after the cave, but it was related to his insanity episode that he faked. So what does he do? I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast. Will you let all the humble hear? Because I got a message for the humble. I was really humbled. I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. I got to tell you about it. Tell others about how God has worked in your life. Do it humbly. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about how God delivered you and helped you and has grace in your life. Taste and David, David can't help himself, but he says, will you listen to me, young? Will you listen to me? Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. I didn't fear him, but would you fear him? Because those who fear him have no lack. If you're, the young lions suffer hunger, but those who wait for him will lack no good thing. Many, of the, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. David's going to have many more trials, but God is teaching him. David? Under me will you rest. I am the everlasting arms you're going to hold on to. We have this in and because Jesus Christ is the greater David who brings us to this Yahweh God and says, the God that helped David is a God that will help you because David's great, 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 great grandson came to the earth he faced all enemies and laid himself down so that you and I might have life and have forgiveness of sins and have the removal of guilt and be united to this one risen Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us to sing as rescued and upheld sinners. Help us to sing with joy. Help us to sing with a, a solemnness and a, a a steady faith in you, in Jesus' name.